1: Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Thank you for joining us today. This is our Pali Canon in English study group where we learn the words of the Buddha. In this book series, The Words of the Buddha, The Path to Enlightenment, Revealing the Hidden. We're starting volume six today, which is titled The Natural Law of Gamma. Here in Volume 6, we're going to be discussing chapters 1 through 10. If you're joining us for the first time, no worries, because these books are available completely free of charge. You can actually download them from our website, buddhadailywisdom.com. From there you'll see a button to download the books and you'll be able to start reading the books as you progress in our program and if you read them prior to class you'll be able to ask questions on any questions you have as we go but even if you haven't read these chapters it's okay because we're going to be displaying them on the screen today and we're gonna have students that are actually reading the chapters as we go in today's class I will then be teaching information about the Buddha's teachings and helping you further glean and understand what the Buddha was explaining in his teachings and then we'll open up for questions of each individual chapter as we progress through the 10 chapters. So welcome to all of you, whether this is your first time joining or you've been with us many times in the past. Now that we're starting this new book, I would like to kind of start off with kind of a bit of an introduction to help you understand a bit of the natural law of gamma, because if you haven't already taken our group learning program, which is done on Sunday and Wednesdays, then you haven't really explored the natural law of gamma through that program, which is a really nice foundational program to help you really benefit from this program, the Polycanon and English Study Group. So let me just share a few things about the natural law of gamma in today's class to help set us up for understanding this book. And then depending on what time we have available, we might go ahead and do our meditation and then go right into the study of chapters 1 through 10. So in understanding the natural law of gamma in this book, volume 6, it's important to understand some basics about the natural law of gamma before we progress into deeper study. It's important to understand that the natural law of gamma is not a mystical, magical, mysterious thing. It's not punishment and rewards. Oftentimes, people associate the natural law of gamma as this punishment and rewards or this mystical, magical, mysterious thing that we should all be scared of. But this isn't what the natural law of gamma is. And if you approach the teachings of the Buddha about the natural law of gamma with that understanding it's going to be challenging for you to understand. What the natural law of gamma is, is very simple. It's a word that we don't use, gamma or karma, because there's not one word English to translate that into. But to make it really simple for you, what gamma is, is its cause and effect or action and result. It's the results of your decisions. So for example, if we are polite, kind, friendly, and respectful in the world, then what we will receive back from the relationships that we're involved in is people will be polite, kind, friendly, and respectful back to us where conversely, if we're impolite, unkind, unfriendly, and disrespectful, then this is what's going to come back to us in our relationships. So this cause and effect or action and result, the results of our decisions, is that as we gain wisdom about this natural law, then we can make more wholesome decisions with this wisdom that lead to wholesome results in our life. So essentially, what All the Buddha's teachings are doing on the path to enlightenment is he's pulling back the covers of this natural law of gama and helping you to see more and more clearly this wisdom of the natural law of gama and how it functions so that now with that wisdom, you can make wiser choices about your day-to-day activities in your life. The Buddha doesn't tell you what to do because we all have free will but he's exposing you to how this natural law functions so that you can become more peaceful and more calm understanding this natural law and making wiser decisions as you approach various things in the world. You've done this same exact thing in other parts of your life. It was a real struggle for you when you were young, when you were two, three, six, eight years old, and you were learning about this world this natural law of gravity was really causing significant struggles and difficulties for you this natural law of gravity was affecting you whether you knew about it or not just like the natural law of gamma this natural law of gravity was there it was always happening and you were falling down you were bumping your head you were hurting your elbows and your knees you would cry you would break your toys And all these different things were happening, and it was a real struggle and extremely difficult to exist in a world that you didn't understand. You didn't understand this natural law of gravity. You didn't have the wisdom to understand it. So therefore, you struggled and had difficulties, and you found it utterly challenging to exist in a world that you didn't understand. But slowly but surely, you started learning about this natural law of gravity and that you need to tie your shoes. You need to look at the surface that you're working on. You need to walk and not run so much. When you're riding a bike, you learned how to balance. You learned to put your toys in a special area so they wouldn't get broken. And gradually, slowly but surely, the mind awakened to the wisdom of this natural law of gravity, and then life became much easier for you related to the natural law of gravity. You could travel around and you could go anywhere you would like because you now were fully awakened to this natural law of gravity. Well, this natural law of karma is exactly the same way, that it affects everybody, whether we're aware of it or not. But when we lack the wisdom of this natural law, the mind is unawakened to this wisdom. And we struggle and we have difficulties in the world. We speak in ways that are unwholesome or unwise. We have certain bodily actions that cause harm. We have certain thoughts and certain... Aspects of the mind that we don't understand. We don't understand a lot of the decisions that we make, and we just make these decisions thinking that they're good, wholesome decisions, but then our life becomes very difficult, and there's lots of struggles in our life, and we don't understand why. We don't understand why these things are happening, and we start blaming other people that it's everyone else's fault. When in reality, when we improve our practice, when we improve our wisdom of this natural law, of gamma, then we experience different results in the world. That's how we clean up our decisions. We clean up our life. We clean up our life practice by gaining this wisdom, awakening to this natural law of gamma, of cause and effect and action and result, the results of our decisions. There's no such thing as good luck or bad luck. There's no such thing as everyone else is making my life difficult. Instead, it's our decisions that our day-to-day decisions that we make lead to certain results. And this is our kama. And in this book, I teach about wholesome kama and unwholesome kama, as well as new kama and old karma. we use the words of the buddha and then i explain it further to help you understand because in order to get to enlightenment you're going to need to understand what is wholesome karma and what is unwholesome karma, and you're going to need to understand what is new karma and what is old karma. by understanding these four different types of karma, you'll then be able to ensure that you're only producing wholesome karma in the decisions that you make And that all your new gamma is going to be wholesome and through this practice of making more and more and more and more wholesome decisions one after another you will experience that the mind becomes more peaceful calm serene and content with joy and your life will get cleaned up and the reason why your mind can improve is because we're causing all the difficulties in our life And by us gaining the wisdom of this natural law, then we can make wiser decisions to improve our life. We don't need to go around and change other people and fix other people and try to change the world, so to speak. All we need to do is focus on our own practice, focus on our own wisdom, improve the decisions that we make. And by improving the decisions that we make and putting more wholesomeness out into the world, this is what will come back to us. But because the unenlightened mind has struggles and difficulties, it doesn't have the wisdom of this natural law. It has these struggles and difficulties where it continues to function in the world in ways that you might think are wholesome, but without the full wisdom of this natural law of gamma, you are making unwholesome decisions in certain situations. And this is why unwholesome things are coming back to you. So, by you gaining the wisdom of this natural law you can now clean that up and start making wiser and wiser and wiser choices for yourself the other thing that i would like to share as we enter into this book the natural law of gamma is here you're going to start seeing the buddha talk more directly about how his teachings of the natural law of gamma and certain decisions that we make lead to certain outcomes and certain results. Some of those outcomes and some of those results have to do with rebirth into a new existence. The goal of Gautama Buddha's teachings is to learn, reflect, and practice so that you can get to the point where the mind is enlightened, where it no longer experiences any discontentedness whatsoever. The mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy Permanently, no longer experiencing things like anger, sadness, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy, stress, or anxiety. This is an enlightened mind. They would have eliminated all of those unwholesome feelings, all those painful feelings, all those neither painful nor pleasant feelings, and even conditioned pleasant feelings. All of these will be eliminated from the enlightened mind. And once somebody attains enlightenment and their mind gradually moves to this enlightened mental state, they will no longer be reborn in the cycle of rebirth. So this is the goal of Gautama Buddha's teachings is to get to enlightenment and escape this whole cycle of rebirth. But should somebody not experience enlightenment in this life, there's going to be rebirth into a new existence and because of that the buddha needed to teach what is going to transpire should somebody not get to enlightenment and depending on what your previous background is and what your previous traditions are you might have heard people talk about things like hell in a way to fear or guilt you or shame you into learning and practicing certain teachings but the buddha never did that when you look at his teachings he does talk about the lower realms of hell animal realm, afflicted spirits. He talks about the human realm, and he talks about the heavenly realm as well, these five realms of existence. And of course, if we do unwholesome things, it's going to lead to rebirth into the lower realms of hell, animal realm, and afflicted spirits. And these realms are very undesirable, of course. But when he talks about this, he never talks about it in a way to guilt, shame, or fear people into practicing his teachings. Because remember, the goal of his teachings is to get to this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy where the mind has eliminated something like guilt, shame, and fear. So he didn't use guilt, shame, and fear to pressure people into learning and practicing his teachings in order to eliminate guilt, shame, and fear. He didn't do that. He just spoke the truth and helped you to understand by doing things like killing living beings, this is gonna lead to rebirth in the realm of hell. And he didn't do it as a way to guilt, shame, or fear people and to stop killing living beings. He was just sharing the truth of the teachings, helping people understand what his teachings were and what leads to this enlightened mental state, and then helping you to understand that should you not experience enlightenment in this life, what is going to be experienced as a result of that. But all of his teachings are pointing to enlightenment. He's working towards helping students to eliminate discontentedness. That's the number one goal. But here in this particular book, as well as other volumes, particularly volume 11, when we talk about the realms of existence, there's a lot of discussion about the rebirth in the lower realms and the other realms of existence. So keep that in mind that if you have conditioning from past traditions and past teachings that you might have learned where people were guilting, shaming, and fearing you, When you read Gautama Buddha's teachings, you might allow that conditioning to come into the mind and think that the Buddha is doing the same thing. But if you read his teachings and you strip away any of your past conditioning, you can see that there's never a time where he's guilting, shaming, or fearing anybody into learning his teachings whatsoever. In fact, he mostly never even taught unless somebody asked him a question. The vast majority of his teachings, when he's sharing teachings, it starts out with somebody asking him a question, and then he just replies. He's not going around and forcing people to learn his teachings. He's just making himself available because he's already experienced this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy that is permanently peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So therefore, He has no interest in pressuring people or forcing people or trying to guilt, shame and fear people into learning his teachings because that's not going to produce enlightenment for people if he tried to do that. And an enlightened being doesn't function that way. An enlightened being has deep wisdom about this path to enlightenment that they don't need to guilt, shame and fear people into learning their teachings because nothing is based on belief. The teachings aren't based on learning a bunch of things, believing those things, and then good things will happen to you once you die. That's not what this practice is about. Instead, you're learning, you're reflecting, and you're practicing now in this life, and you're observing right now that the condition of the mind is gradually improving, and you see the discontent is gradually diminishing over time. So you know that you're walking on the path and you're experiencing this truth, and this wisdom of the Buddhist teachings is leading to an improved condition of mind, an improved condition of life. So he's always pointing to enlightenment and guiding you towards that. But of course, students always ask questions. Well, what if I don't get to enlightenment? What's going to happen? So that's what he shares as part of his teachings. I don't think we have too many of those type of chapters in today's study, but as we get deeper into this book and as you get into volume 11, you'll see some of these things. So I would just like to make you aware that you'll need to let go of any conditioning that you might have experienced in other traditions that might have led to guilt, shame, and fear. So I would like to pause here and see what questions you guys have about what I've discussed so far about the natural law of Gamma and how to approach this book and letting go of any conditioning about any kind of rebirth and other realms and things like this. The way that you ask questions is you put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Our moderators will see that and be sure that your questions get asked during the class. Or if you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly.
2: Hello, teacher. So a does the law of karma is what controls the suffering that people experience
1: in this life there's nothing that controls anything so there's no control there's no entity there's no being that is controlling this natural law of karma it's just what happens it's just the cause and effect of things so if i went out in the world and i was impolite unkind unfriendly and disrespectful there's no being or no magical force that is controlling other people to be impolite, unkind and unfriendly back to me. It's just the way things happen of this cause and effect or this action and result. So there's no control of this natural law of karma. It's just the way things happen. So part of this natural law of karma is that as we're functioning in the world, and we're making certain unwholesome decisions that oftentimes what comes back to us is our own mind can feel sad or angry or frustrated or guilt or shame or fear or boredom or loneliness because we're allowing certain conditions to exist in our mind. That is the cause and then the effect is that our mind experiences discontentedness. So it's our choice and our decision to hold on to something like craving, desire, attachment. That choice of maintaining that in the mind leads to discontentedness. Our choice to have anger leads to hostility and aggression through our intention, speech, and actions. And when we put that out into the world, then that's what comes back to us. It's our choice to maintain ignorance or the unknowing of true reality. And by maintaining that ignorance, that unknowing of true reality, the confusion, the delusion, then we don't have the wisdom of how these natural laws function. So now we're causing all kinds of difficulties in the world by putting out harmful intention, speech, actions, our livelihood, and other things like this. So rather than think about control that this natural law of Gamma is doing any kind of control, think about it as just merely cause and effect or action and result. For example, right now I've got this water in this this cup and it's almost empty. So the cause of the reason why this water is empty is because I've been drinking it throughout different classes, but I've also wisely made a decision to have a bottle of water here next to my computer that I can refill this water. So the cause here is that, hey, I've made a decision to have a bottle of water close to my desk and the effect is that I get to be hydrated as a result that as I'm teaching, I can now take a sip of water every once in a while and continue to be hydrated. So this is a wholesome decision, a wise decision that's leading to a wholesome result or a wholesome outcome. So this is my gamma, My gamma, or the result of my decision is that I don't get dehydrated while I'm teaching. So this is something very simple, to way to think about the natural law of gamma, that it's not this mystical, magical thing. There's no being controlling us. It's just a result of our decisions. And when we make wise decisions, they lead to wholesome outcomes. And when we make unwise decisions, they lead to unwholesome outcomes. And the more that we learn about this natural law of gamma, Once you learn it and you see the truth for yourself, you can make more and more wise choices because once you understand this wisdom, why would you ever make any unwise choices, right? If once you learn that you need to tie your shoes every day before going out or you're going to trip and fall, once you understood that deeply... You made sure every single day that you tied your shoes really, really well before going outside because you weren't interested in tripping and falling anymore. You saw when you made the unwise decision to not tie your shoes, you fell down and hurt yourself. And when you saw that over time, you eventually started practicing using wisdom and you tied your shoes really well every day. And then when you went outside, you no longer tripped and fell. So it's accumulating this wisdom that allows us to make wise decisions. And once you have this wisdom, that you see the truth for yourself in the Buddhist teachings, that you don't believe them, but you see the truth, then you start making wiser decisions because it would be unwise to keep falling down and tripping and hurting your knees and your elbows. So you start practicing this wisdom of making wise choices that lead to wholesome outcomes. Thanks, teacher.
2: Let's go to Miranda.
3: Um, Yes, Teacher David, we have a couple of questions from Facebook. We have, uh, venerable teacher, what is the relationship between the law of karma and volitional formations?
1: Yeah, so this is where volitional formations and the law of karma are interlinked. That volitional formations are choices and decisions. That's what we are doing throughout our life, is we're making constant choices and decisions, like even just coming to this class or listening to the replay, listening to the podcast. This is a choice that you're making, and that choice leads to a certain result, the accumulation of wisdom. And by accumulating the wisdom of the Buddhist teachings, it leads to wholesome outcomes. So when we have ignorance or unknowing of true reality, we make choices and decisions that lead to unwholesome results. So volitional formations or choices and decisions, that's the whole linchpin of the natural law of gamma. That's what really sets all of this into motion, is that when we make a choice, there's going to be some result that comes back to us as part of that decision. And when we're aware of this natural law of gamma, we can see our individual decisions as we make them and what's coming back to us. The natural law of gamma is essentially like the most unbiased teacher that you will ever experience because this natural law functions without any being controlling it. So therefore it functions perfectly. So if you understand this natural law of gamma deeply, you can make decisions. And then when you put that decision out in the world and you see what comes back to you, you can be very clear about whether that was a wise decision or an unwise decision, because you can read what's coming back to you and you can see whether or not this is wholesome or this is unwholesome. So it's the Buddhist teachings that are going to give you all those wholesomeness and those unwholesome things to understand that something like killing a living being, for example, if you made a decision to do that, it's going to lead to unwholesome results. Or if you steal, it's going to lead to unwholesome results. Or if you have sexual misconduct, it's going to lead to unwholesome results. Or if you lie, or if you have substances that cause heedlessness, these are the five precepts. Those are unwholesome decisions that if we do those things, then it's going to lead to unwholesome results. So the wisdom in the teachings of the Buddha is that we shouldn't take the life of other beings, that we shouldn't take from people we should await what is given we shouldn't steal that if we're going to have sex that we should have it with just one partner at a time this is what leads to wholesome results in terms of our sexual activity lying that we should be trustworthy we should be dependable we should be a true speaker one to be relied on not a deceiver of the world This is ensuring that we're not lying. And that would be the wise way to conduct ourselves. And then eliminating all substances that cause heedlessness, because this path to enlightenment is all about purifying the mind. And if we make decisions such as polluting the mind with substances that cause heedlessness, we're not going to be able to experience enlightenment because we're polluting the mind with these substances. So that's kind of just a small example for you in the five precepts. And this is where you can understand that the Buddhist teachings are not rules to follow. He didn't give rules. What he gave is he gave guidance. He gave these guidance that if you understand this wisdom and you practice it in the way that he's sharing then you will see the truth for yourself that this leads to more wholesome results in our life. Because when we kill, when we steal, when we have sexual misconduct, when we lie, when we take substances that cause heedlessness, our life is going to be just miserable for us. So these aren't rules because he's not enforcing any kind of rules. Instead, he's giving you guidance of saying, this is the best way to live your life and you will experience better results in your life when you make decisions within this natural law of Gamma. So something like the five precepts, that's the natural law of Gamma. Or the eightfold path, that's the natural law of Gamma that he's explaining to you. Even the four noble truths, that's the natural law of Gamma every single aspect of his teachings he's sharing the natural law of karma, in that with this wisdom you can now make wiser decisions in the world about how you conduct yourself and then you'll experience more wholesome results
3: Thank you teacher. There's also a question about um, how karma gets carried to the next birth and at the time of death how these bad Kama decides the next birth
1: Okay, so there's a part in our studies today that the Buddha is going to be talking about that gamma is experienced in this life, the next life, or some subsequent occasion. That would be the best time to talk about that. And I think it's in Chapter 1, actually, that he talks about this. So let's explore that once we study the words of the Buddha, and then I'll explain it to you how it actually happens. Well,
2: seems there's
1: no more question. All right looking at the time, let's just go right into studying rather than do our meditation like we normally do. We'll do meditation next week, but let's just go right into our study so that we have time to ensure that we cover all 10 chapters today in our class. So that was a nice little introduction just to kind of help you guys get acquainted with the natural law of gamma and approaching this book with the right mindset of, Yes, we're going to be talking about rebirth and different realms and things like this, but it's not as a way of guilt, shame, and fearing you because the whole goal of this path is to eliminate guilt, shame, and fear among other discontentedness. So the way that we do our class is the moderators have a list of people who are interested in reading and a student will read the chapter and then I will teach. And then after that, we'll open up to any questions on each individual chapter.
2: Six aspects of Kama to be understood. Monks, when it was said, Kama should be understood. The creation of Kama should be understood. The diversity of Kama should be understood. The result of Kama should be understood. The elimination of the creation of Kama should be understood. The way leading to the elimination of unwholesome Kama should be understood. For what reason was this said? One, it is volition, choices, decisions, monks, that I call Kama. For having willed choices, decisions, one acts by body, speech, or mind. Two, and what is the creation of Kama? Context is its creation. Three, and what is the diversity of Kama? There is Kama to be experienced in hell. There is Kama to be experienced in the animal realm. There is Kama to be experienced in the realm of affected spirits. There is karma to be experienced in the human realm and there is karma to be experienced in the heavenly realm this is called the diversity of karma four and what is the result of karma the result of karma i say is threefold to be experienced in this very life or in the next rebirth or on some subsequent occasion this is called the result of karma five and what monks is the elimination of creation of karma with the elimination of contact there is elimination of the creation of karma six this noble eightfold path is the way leading to the elimination of unwholesome karma namely right view right intention right speech right action right livelihood right effort right mindfulness and right concentration when monks a noble disciple thus understands karma The creation of karma, the diversity of karma, the result of karma, the elimination of the creation of karma, and the way leading to the elimination of unwholesome karma. He understands this penetrative spiritual life to be the elimination of karma. When it was said, karma should be understood, the creation of karma should be understood, the diversity of karma should be understood, the result of karma should be understood the elimination of the creation of karma should be understood. The way leading to the elimination of unwholesome karma should be understood. It is because of this that this was said.
1: All right. Thank you, Bassem. So here we have six aspects of karma to be understood. And the question that was asked will come up as part of this. So if I don't cover that, be sure we get to that. This first one, the Buddha is saying, OK, it's our choices and decisions that is kind of what brings this gamma to be, right? It is volition, monks, this choices and decisions that I call gamma. So it's our choices and decisions, it's the results of our decisions that is the gamma. But also notice that he talks about having willed. So for example, we were just talking about the first precept of not killing. If I go outside and I see animals running about and I, have this intention or this will to go around and kill these animals then this is producing unwholesome karma for me because i have the will i have the intention to kill these animals and there's a certain amount of anger hatred and ill will to be able to walk around and deliberately kill animals and this is through actions of body speech and mind that having this will or having this intention then when one acts with that intention through body, speech, and mind, now we're creating this gamma and there's going to be results of our decisions. Conversely, if I walk outside and I'm just walking down the street and there happens to be an ant that's under my shoe and it ends up dying as I'm walking down the street, I haven't willed this to happen. That wasn't my intention. That wasn't what I was trying to have happen. There's no anger, hatred, or ill will that's coming into the mind, and then I'm acting on that through body, speech, and mind. So there's no gamma that is created when I'm just walking down the street and an ant happens to die under my foot versus me going outside and deliberately attempting to kill other animals. So this is really important that you understand this uniqueness about what the Buddha's teaching because oftentimes people think that when you see that first precept about killing, that That means preserve all life at all costs, but that's not what the Buddha taught. What he taught is that we shouldn't deliberately go around and intentionally kill, for example, with that first precept. So sometimes people say, well, why are you switching from eating animals to eat vegetables and plants? Aren't you still killing? Because when you harvest the plants, there's worms and bugs and insects that get killed as a result of harvesting the plants. This is the difference here, is it's the will, it's the intention behind it. So when we deliberately kill an animal, and we're deliberately feasting on an animal's carcass, this is having willed by body, speech, and mind to eat an animal. And that's where there's going to be certain gamma associated with that that's going to produce unwholesome results as our choice to ingest animal flesh. But when we're harvesting plants in a open field, we're not intentionally killing the insects. We're going out there to harvest the fruits or harvest the vegetables. And these insects are actually serving a purpose to pollinate these plants and ensure that the soil has the nutrients that it needs in the soil. Those things are there for a reason, but we're not intentionally trying to kill those insects as we're harvesting plants. It's just a byproduct of walking in the field or running a plow through the field or something like this. So this will or this intention is a vital component of understanding gamma in the results of our decisions that there has to be intention behind it in order for there to be a result of your decision so here with this example with the first precept you can understand that then the second aspect of gamma to be understood is how gamma gets created the buddha is saying here that it's contact that creates gamma so for example If you're arguing with somebody and somebody's arguing with you, when you're arguing with that person and they're arguing with you, there's contact. And because you're choosing to argue with them, they're choosing to argue with you. And it just keeps going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You're creating unwholesome karma. You're creating a relationship with somebody that they're used to you arguing with them. And there's this hostility and aggression that's coming from you through your body, speech, and mind. And now because of your intention and this contact that you have, now when you're around this person, there's gonna be a tendency for that person to argue with you. But what the Buddha is saying here is that it's this contact, by you having contact with this person, you're gonna now start creating either wholesome kama or unwholesome kama due to the contact that you're having with this person. That's how kama gets created. And now there's this diversity of gamma. The diversity of gamma is that there's gamma that's experienced in all five realms. Right now we're in the human realm and we're experiencing gamma from this human birth, but we're also experiencing Kama from our previous births as well. And whether we were in hell, whether we were in animal realm, whether we are in afflicted spirits, human or heavenly realm at any of our previous existences, there's certain gamma that we created and we generated in those previous lives that did not get extinguished. And because we didn't extinguish that gamma, that gamma is coming forward into this life and we're going to continue to experience the results of those decisions. Now, the Buddha is saying here in number four that the results of our gamma is to be experienced in this life, In the next rebirth or some subsequent occasion the this life makes sense I'm sure you understand that the next life if you're reborn the goal is to not be reborn but if you're reborn there's going to be gamma that transfers into that new existence or the some subsequent occasion is some future rebirth beyond the next life that's what he's explaining there So let me pause here and kind of talk about that question that was asked. And Bassem, if you can restate that question for me so I can be sure that I answer all the components of it, that would be good.
2: Yes, Sure. The question, the first part of the question says, how karma gets carried to next rebirth?
1: Okay, so there is no black cloud. There is no mystical, magical thing that's carrying the karma from one birth to the next. What moves from one birth to the next is our craving-desire attachments and residual memories. So you can think of, let's just say before this existence of David, say I was Susie, say I was a human being named Susie. And in Susie's mind, Susie didn't get to enlightenment. That's why David is now here. Because if Susie would have got to enlightenment, there wouldn't have been this rebirth as David. So Susie her own unique being. She has her own physical form. She has her own mind. And inside of that mind, there's certain craving, anger, and ignorance. And when Susie died, that craving is the spark or the fuel that leads to the next rebirth. If there's craving in the mind at the time of death, there's going to be another existence. There's going to be another birth. And then when there is a new birth, that craving, any kind of cravings that existed in Susie's mind is going to move forward into David's mind. So let's say, for example, that Susie was an angry person who had difficulty getting along with her co-workers and her partner and her children, if she had children, and she had hostility and aggression. And by the time she died, that was still in the mind because of this craving, this desire to always be right, this arrogance, this pride, this ego. Well, when Susie died, those cravings came into David's mind. And now David is going to create decisions. They're going to be choices and decisions that David makes based off of this craving desire attachment that has come forward from Susie and now David is creating this new karma in this life based on David's craving anger and ignorance so it's not that Susie killed somebody in a previous life David didn't kill anybody therefore David's going to get the results of having killed somebody when he was Susie Instead, what it is, is it's this craving desire attachment of being angry and hostile and aggressive to people. And maybe Susie killed somebody in that life. And now that craving comes forward into David's mind. And now David starts functioning in the same way, producing all this new results. Now this new gamma of interacting with different beings in this life, David does that in hostile ways and unskillful ways and now david's creating all this new gamma based on this craving from previous life so that's how gamma goes forward into a future life is that it's our craving that comes forward and our craving is what's creating the new gamma in this life we talk about it as if it's based on the previous life but what you're going to see in today's class Is that it's craving, anger, and ignorance that produces all unwholesome kama. And all that unwholesome kama is being produced by one's own mind having craving, anger, and ignorance. So any of craving that gets moved forward from Susie to David is now going to be producing all this new kama in this new life that is now producing new results. And that's how we experience the results of our previous lives. But additionally, we also experience wholesome results as well. So let's just say, in a different situation, Susie wasn't angry. She wasn't hostile. Maybe she was even learning a little bit of the Buddhist teachings during her lifetime and she did a little bit of meditation and she was gaining a bit of wisdom. Well, that is also going to move forward into David's mind too. That craving, anger, and ignorance is going to be diminished there's going to be more wisdom because there's these residual memories that move from Susie to David. And now there's these wholesome results of what Susie did in her previous life is now going to be experienced in David's life. That now the mind of David is a bit more wholesome because Susie did some work in her previous life to improve the condition of her mind. And now David is experiencing the results of those wholesome decisions that Susie made. So that's how this moves forward is that there's no black cloud there's no being nothing like that there's nothing mystical or magical it's just this craving in these residual memories that move forward and now this new being of david is starting to create new gamma based on what's in david's mind so any questions follow up to that one before i continue on in this discussion of this chapter yes
2: sir. the second part of the question Uh, At time of death, how this bad karma decide the next rebirth?
1: Okay, so our next rebirth is based on craving. If there's craving, there's going to be rebirth. So craving is what decides if there is a new existence or a new birth. What realm we're born into and the condition of the being that's in that realm, that's based on our karma. That's what decides what realm we're in in the condition of that being that's our gamma that's the results of our decisions
2: thanks teacher no more questions
1: okay so now number five is part of this same chapter one And what monks is the elimination of the creation of gamma with the elimination of contact there is elimination of creation of gamma because remember up here in number two the buddha says The creation of gamma is because of contact. When we come in contact with somebody else, we're starting to create gamma. And he says to eliminate that gamma, then we eliminate contact and we're no longer going to create gamma with that person. So, using that example of two people arguing together, one they're arguing with each other, they're in contact with each other, now they're creating unwholesome gamma and they're experiencing the unwholesome results of that in their very difficult and very problematic relationship because they're arguing back and forth but when we eliminate contact now we eliminate the gamma that we're creating so if we come together with someone and we start making contact and we see that they're angry and hostile one of the things that we might choose to do is you might choose to walk away and break contact that eliminates any creation of gamma by breaking contact now we're no longer creating gamma with that person even if that person gets angry because we walked away from them, that's okay. That's their own anger, but we protect our contentedness. Or another example is if you came together and that person was argumentative and hostile with you, and you noticed that you were being argumentative and hostile too, and you're trying to now eliminate your gamma and no longer do this, you can stop mid-sentence realizing that you're angry and hostile, and this is only going to produce a unwholesome results for you if you maintain contact. And now mid-sentence, you can just choose to walk away. And that's going to break contact. And now you're going to eliminate any creation of gamma. So that's how we create gamma and that's how we eliminate karma in terms of with that person. But in terms of eliminating unwholesome gamma entirely, it's the eightfold path. It's the eightfold path that is giving us the wisdom of how to produce wholesome gamma. And the way that you eliminate unwholesome gamma is you just produce a whole lot of wholesome gamma. By you practicing right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, you're producing more and more wholesome gamma and you're cleaning out all this unwholesome gamma that you've created. All your unwholesome decisions are starting to cease because now you're only making decisions based on the full path and you're producing wholesome results. One of the ways to visualize this is if you had a garden hose in your yard that had dirt in it, this dirt is in there from previous decisions. The way to clean out that garden hose is to turn on the fresh water and pump lots and lots of fresh water. Lots and lots of pure water gets pumped through the garden hose and spits out all that dirt until eventually you've got nothing but clean water coming out of the garden hose that's what's happened so far in your life because you're not enlightened you've been making unwholesome decisions and you've got some dirt in this garden hose what the eightfold path does is it turns on this pure water and it starts pumping this pure water through the garden hose and the garden hose is going to start spitting out dirt You're going to get some dirt. You're going to get a little bit of clean water. You're going to get some dirt. You're going to get a little bit of clean water. You're going to get some dirt. And then eventually, as you keep pumping clean water into this garden hose, you eventually get all clean water. And that's where the mind is enlightened, that you're producing for an extended period of time, you're producing only wholesome decisions. And you start cleaning up your life this way because now you're functioning through this eightfold path. And what you do by doing that is you do what the Buddha is talking about right here, is by producing only wholesome decisions through the Eightfold Path, you understand this spiritual life, and you're working to eliminate all unwholesome karma. That's what this Eightfold Path is doing, is by producing only wholesome decisions through practicing the Eightfold Path, you are eliminating more and more of your unwholesome decisions, and you're cleaning out that garden hose and only pumping pure water into your life, only pure decisions into your life. And that's why it's important to understand these six aspects of gamma, because this is how you're gonna clean up the condition of your mind and clean up the condition of your life by ensuring that you're practicing in this way. Questions on this first chapter?
2: A question this the same picture.
1: All right, let's go to chapter two.
2: Yes, let's go to
3: Three causes for the origination of unwholesome karma. Monks, there are these three causes for the origination of unwholesome karma. What three? Craving, desire, greed, attachment is a cause for the origination of unwholesome karma. Anger, hatred, or ill will is a cause for the origination of unwholesome karma. Ignorance. Delusion, unknowing of true reality, is a cause for the origination of unwholesome kama. Suppose, monks, seeds that are intact, unspoiled, not damaged by wind and the sun's heat, fertile, well-preserved, were deposited in a well-prepared ground in a good field and received proper rainfall. In this way, those seeds would grow, increase, and mature. So, too, any unwholesome kama monks, created through craving, born of craving, caused by craving, originated by craving, ripens wherever the individual is reborn. Wherever that unwholesome comma ripens, it is there that one experiences its result, either in this very life or in the next rebirth or on some subsequent occasion. So too, any unwholesome comma created through anger, born of anger, caused by anger, originated by anger ripens wherever the individual is reborn. Wherever that unwholesome comma ripens, it is there that one experiences its result, either in this very life or in the next rebirth or on some subsequent occasion. So too, any unwholesome comma created through ignorance, born of ignorance, caused by ignorance, originated by ignorance, ripens wherever the individual is reborn. Wherever that unwholesome karma ripens, it is there that one experiences its result, either in this very life or in the next rebirth or on some subsequent occasion. These are the three causes for the origination of unwholesome karma.
1: All right. Thank you, Miranda. So previously we were just talking about the creation of kama and how to clean up your kama. Well, this here, the Buddha is explaining how unwholesome kama is created. I'm sorry, what um, is the origination or the cause of unwholesome gamma? The creation we got in the previous chapter, but here we're talking about the cause or the origination and it's craving, anger, and ignorance that causes all unwholesome gamma. If you understand craving, anger, and ignorance from the group learning program in volume one of this book series, You can learn in chapter eight what craving, anger, and ignorance is because you need to specifically know what these are so that then you can antidote these and you can fix these. That's why we spend time in antidoting these and fixing these because this is where all unwholesome decisions originate from. When we have craving, this mental longing and strong eagerness, we make certain decisions that are unwholesome. When we have anger or this hostility, this aggression, we make certain unwholesome decisions based on that anger. And where is that all coming from? It's coming from our ignorance or our unknowing of true reality. And because we lack the wisdom of these teachings, we keep allowing these unwholesome decisions to keep being made over and over and over again, keeping us trapped and stuck in this cycle of rebirth. So when you understand deeply what craving anger and ignorance is, then you can implement and use the remedies to transform the mind to practice the three wholesome qualities or the three wholesome roots. Here, this is called the three causes for the origination of unwholesome kama. We also refer to these as the three poisons or the three unwholesome roots or the three fires, because these are the three things that are causing all the unwholesome results in your life. And the Buddha's teachings and his training is all about transforming these into the three wholesome roots, so that you can then practice those. Questions on this chapter? A question, teacher. All right. So now let's go to this one.
2: Three causes for the origination of unwholesome and wholesome karma. Another discourse, monks. There are these three causes for the origination of unwholesome karma. What three? 1 Craving desire, greed, attachment arises with reference to things in the past that are the basis for craving and desire. 2. Craving desire, greed, attachment arises with reference to things in the future that are the basis for craving and desire. 3. Craving desire, greed, attachment arises with reference to things presently existing that are the basis for craving and desire. And how, monks, does craving arise with reference to things in the past that are the basis for craving and desire? One thinks about and mentally examines things in the past that are the basis for craving and desire. As one does so, craving arises. When craving springs up, one is fettered by those things. The mental obsession is what I call the fetter. It is in this way that craving arises with reference to things in the past that are the basis for craving and desire. And how does craving arise with reference to things in the future that are the basis for craving and desire? One thinks about and mentally examines things in the future that are the basis for craving and desire. As one does so, craving arises. When craving springs up, One is fettered by those things. The mental obsession is what I call the fetter. It is in this way that craving arises with reference to things in the future that are the basis for craving and desire. And how does craving arise with reference to things presently existing that are the basis for craving and desire? One thinks about and mentally examines things presently existing that are the basis for craving and desire. As one does so, craving arises. When craving springs up, one is fettered by those things. The mental obsession is what I call the fetter. It is in this way that craving arises with reference to things presently existing that are the basis for craving and desire. These are the three causes of the origination of unwholesome karma. There are monks. These three causes for the origination of unwholesome karma. What three? One, craving, desire, greed, attachment does not arise with reference to things in the past that are the basis for craving and desire. Two, craving, desire, greed, attachment does not arise with reference to things in the future that are the basis for craving and desire. Three, craving, desire, greed, attachment does not arise with reference to things presently existing that are the basis for craving and desire. And how long does craving not arise with reference to things in the past that are the basis for craving and desire? One understands the future result of things in the past that are the basis for craving and desire. Having understood the future result, one avoids it. Having avoided it, one becomes free from strong feelings in the mind, and having pierced through with wisdom, one sees it is in this way that craving does not arise. With reference to things in the past that are the basis for craving and desire. Blossom,
1: awesome, I'm gonna pause. I'm gonna pause you right there, just so that you don't have to read all the way through all of this, because it's the same thing being repeated, just for the past, the future, and presently. So here, this is the last line. Yes, uh,
2: these are the three causes for the origination of unwholesome karma.
1: Okay, there we go, good. All right, so here the Buddha's essentially showing how craving based on things in the past, craving based on things in the future, craving based on things presently, this is all leading to unwholesome results, right? This is what he's getting the point throughout all of his teachings is how this craving, desire, attachment is going to lead to unwholesome results. And how do we transform that? Well, we transform that with breathing mindfulness meditation, with practicing generosity, and with observing our cravings and cutting that off and letting it go. When we observe that craving is coming into the mind, obsessing the mind about things in the past, things in the future, things presently. Because if we allow craving to be the basis of our decisions, then it's only going to produce unwholesome results. And what the Buddha says down here, in terms of wholesome karma, is he talks about not allowing this craving to obsess the mind. And that when we see clearly what the results are of our cravings, that these cravings produce unwholesome results, when we understand that and we see that clearly, then with that wisdom... We choose to no longer do those things because he says here, having pierced through wisdom, one sees, we can see that our past decisions, all based in craving, have led to unwholesome results. So why would we continue to do those things? So residing in the present moment and not allowing the mind to have craving is what he's getting to in this particular chapter. Questions on this chapter? questions, Stan, all right, so we'll go to chapter four.
2: Yes, sir. Uh, let's go to Miranda.
3: Um Yes, sir. How can a practitioner tell the difference between reflecting on something that occurred in the past in order to gain wisdom versus craving arising in the mind regarding something that occurred in the past? For example, this being often reflects on past conversations as part of working on right speech. But how can doing this be differentiated between a craving to be practicing a right speech at all times?
1: Sure. So if you're sitting somewhere and you're reflecting on what you've spoken in the past and trying to kind of think and ponder whether or not the was the five factors of well-spoken speech and whether that was wholesome and whether you feel like your practice was where it needs to be, that's the inward looking, that's the reflection, that's the thinking and pondering, the Buddha calls it, and trying to determine how to bring your practice up to a better practice of something like right speech, for example. That's a wholesome aspect of the mind, to be able to do that inward looking, that analysis of the mind, and not being complacent with, okay, well, I had that conversation, it ended in an argument, and I'm just going to put it in the past rather than doing that you kind of think and you ponder and you reflect what could i have done better in that situation that ended in an argument and how can i improve my practice so that doesn't happen again right so that's a really wholesome quality but if you're then thinking backwards to that situation and you're just beating yourself up like oh my goodness i was so horrible why did i do that I'm such a bad person. I shouldn't have done that. And you're like beating yourself up because of this craving. The mind becomes discontent because you lacked right speech. If you get to that point, that's where you know there's a craving to have right speech because now the mind is becoming discontent because you didn't have right speech versus just sitting there and reflecting on what you did in the past with your speech and deciding whether or not you need to make improvements or not with a calm mind. So whenever there's discontentedness, there's craving, desire, attachment. So we can look back and we can reflect on things that we've done in the past, past, and then make decisions to improve that conduct. That would be wholesome. But if we look back to the past and we beat ourselves up and we have this yearning, this longing, this craving to improve, and now the mind becomes so discontent because we're not far enough on this path as we want to be, that's where the craving is.
3: Okay, thank you for clarifying, sir.
1: You're welcome.
2: Well, Miranda is the next word here. Let's go to her.
3: Three causes for the origination of wholesome karma. Monks, there are these three causes for the origination of wholesome karma. What three? One, non-craving generosity is a cause for the origination of wholesome karma. Two, non-anger, loving-kindness, is a cause for the origination of wholesome, comma. Three, non-ignorance, wisdom, is a cause for the origination of wholesome, comma. Suppose, monk, there are seeds that are intact, unspoiled, not damaged by wind and the sun's heat, fertile, well preserved. Then a man would burn them in a fire, reduce them to ashes, and winnow the ashes in a strong wind, or let them be carried away by the swift current of a river in this way those seeds will be cut off at the root made like a palm stump obliterated so they are no more subject to future arising so too any comma that is created through non-craving generosity born of non-craving caused by non-craving originated by non-craving is abandoned when craving is vanished it is cut off at the root made like a palm stump obliterated so that it is no more subject to future arising of unwholesome comma. So too, any comma that is created through non-anger, loving kindness, born of non-anger, caused by non-anger, originated by non-anger, is abandoned when anger has vanished. It is cut off at the root, made like, made like a palm stump, obliterated so it is no more subject to future arising of unwholesome comma. So too, any comma that is created through non-ignorance, wisdom, Born of non-ignorance, caused by non-ignorance, originated by non-ignorance, is abandoned when ignorance has vanished. It is cut off at the root, made like a palm stump, obliterated so that it is no more subject to future arising of unwholesome karma.
1: Okay, thank you, Miranda. Sounds like your dogs would like to help us out there. That's beautiful. (laughs) All right, so here, this is exactly the opposite of chapter two. Chapter four is giving you the causes of wholesome kama. This is helping you to understand how to transform the mind. So these unwholesome kama that is talked about in chapter two is produced by craving, anger, and ignorance. But the exact opposites of those are generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. This is what antidotes and transforms the mind. So what you're working to do is to no longer make decisions through craving, anger, and ignorance, but make your decisions through generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. So when you're in those situations where you feel anger arising and the lesser versions of that, frustration, irritation, annoyance, things like this, then you arise loving kindness. That's what's going to help you to not produce intention, speech, and actions that would be based in anger, for example, or the lesser versions of that. Or if you're experiencing that your mind is holding on and you're wanting to have this craving and you're holding on to things really tightly, when you observe that about the mind, then you practice generosity and you start giving and you start sharing with other people. And this is going to transform the mind to now practice generosity rather than holding on to things tightly. When you see that the mind is doing things that are unwholesome, like any of those five precepts, for example, the killing, stealing, sexual misconduct, lying, or taking substances that cause heedlessness. This is all ignorance or the unknowing of true reality. Where you see those things going on in your life, you instead practice wisdom, which will transform your decision-making away from this ignorance. And now you're making decisions based on wisdom. And now the more that you're practicing generosity, loving kindness and wisdom through your intention, speech and actions, it's putting that clear water through the garden hose and spitting out all this dirt at the other end and getting more and more purity coming through the garden hose. This purity that you're putting into the garden hose is the generosity, loving kindness and wisdom. That's how you push out the craving, anger and ignorance. So what questions do you guys have here?
2: Question, of the scripture.
1: All right, so we'll just keep going into chapter five now.
2: Inconceivable Matters Monks, there are these four inconceivable matters that one should not try to conceive. One who tries to conceive them would read either madness or frustration. What for? One, the experiences of the Buddhas is an inconceivable matter that one should not try to conceive. One who tries to conceive it would reap either madness or frustration. Two, the experiences of one in the jhanas is an inconceivable matter that one should not try to conceive. One who tries to conceive it would reap either madness or frustration. Three, the exact result of karma is an inconceivable matter that one should not try to conceive. One who tries to conceive it would reap either madness or frustration. Four. Speculation about the world is an inconceivable matter that one should not try to conceive. One who tries to conceive it would reap either madness or frustration. These are the four inconceivable matters that one should not try to conceive. One who tries to conceive them would reap either madness or frustration.
1: All right. Thank you, Bossum. So as part of this path to enlightenment, we teach students that they should be an independent, active learner and that they shouldn't believe any of the teachings and that they should independently verify the teachings to be the truth. And that's how you acquire wisdom and awaken the mind to enlightenment. But here, even though the Buddha and myself and others teach students to independently verify teachings, the Buddha is giving you four things that he's saying don't try to conceive these, don't try to ponder these and think about these because it's only going to lead to madness or frustration. The first one he's saying is understanding the experiences of a Buddha. For an average person to understand the experience that a Buddha encounters as part of their awakening and part of their life, it's very challenging to understand and try to conceive, or visualize, or understand what a Buddha actually goes through. Of course, a Buddha is going to teach in their teachings how to awaken the mind, but the process of what they do in order to do that, while a Buddha can explain it, it's oftentimes quite difficult for an average human being to understand what a Buddha experiences as part of their life. So the Buddha is suggesting and guiding his students to not try to conceive this because it would just lead to madness or frustration. And likewise, he talks about the jhanas, that if you're not yet in the jhanas, he's saying don't try to figure out what these experience of being in the jhanas is like because it's only going to produce madness or frustration. What I would add to that is instead of trying to conceive or figure out what it's like, Just go ahead and do the work so that you can experience the jhanas, and then you'll know for yourself what they are and what the experience is like to have the mind in the jhanas. So rather than trying to think about all these different aspects of the jhanas and conceive what that would be like, just do the work to actually experience them, and then you won't have to have this madness or frustration of trying to figure out what they're like without actually experiencing them. And then, as it relates to the natural law of gamma, he's saying we shouldn't try to figure out the exact result of gamma. So, for example, a common question that I get is people will oftentimes ask me about children when they're born with birth defects, or if we have children that have experienced uh, sexual abuse in their early life, you know, what did this child do to be able to experience this? gamma of having birth defects or having sexual abuse or physical abuse or something like this as part of their young life of only being uh, so young. Well, the Buddha is saying, you know, the exact result of gamma, trying to figure out exactly what occurred would only lead to madness and frustration that it doesn't make sense to try to figure that out exactly. And then likewise, if there's certain things that you're doing in your life, Where you have maybe had wrong speech recently in the past, and if your mind is obsessing over what's going to be the result of this, now that I had this wrong speech with my husband or my wife or my children, what's the exact result of this? You know, the person just going to get fearful. They're going to have this madness or frustration. So the Buddha is saying, you know, don't try to figure out the exact result of Kama because this is an inconceivable matter. This isn't something that you can say, okay, because I made this decision two years ago, I'm now going to experience this five years from now. That would be an inconceivable matter and it would just lead to madness or frustration. You can't figure out that level of detail when it comes to karma. And then the fourth thing he talks about is speculation about the world here. The way that he describes this are things like whether the world is finite or infinite, whether the Tadagata exists after death, whether a Buddha exists after death, whether an enlightened being exists or doesn't exist after death. You can also think about things like conspiracy theories. If you've ever noticed people whose minds get really deluded around conspiracy theories, sometimes there's madness and frustration as a result because the mind is speculating about the world. It doesn't really have the truth. It doesn't really know what's truly happening in the world, but there's all this speculation because people are building their perspective of the world based on information that isn't accurate, misperceptions, misunderstandings, false truths. And when we build our view of the world and what's happening in the world based on things like conspiracy theories, then It leads to madness and frustration. So the Buddha is saying, you know, we shouldn't do this That we should base our decisions about the world based on truths and things that we know to be the truth Questions on this chapter
2: Yes teacher Here the Buddha is guiding to not to try to figure out the exact results of karma So does this mean that there are some actions that have no results or law of karma is working all the time
1: the law of karma is working all the time all causes are going to have some effect there's always an action and result but in terms of the exact 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 result that's what the buddha is saying like if you try to pinpoint it with precision accuracy that's where it's going to lead to madness and frustration so for example if i was talking to my wife yesterday which i wasn't but I wasn't angry with her, but I'm just going to use this. But let's just say I was angry with my wife. Let's just say we were talking and I was talking in a really rough and harsh way. If I try to figure out exactly what the result of that was going to be, then it's going to lead to madness and frustration. Instead, we can kind of bubble up to kind of a little bit of a higher level and realize that, yeah, if I talk rough and harsh and aggressive with my wife, that's going to lead to her talking rough, aggressive and harsh with me. That's kind of generally what we need to understand about gamma. But if we try to take it to a much more exact detail than that, that's where it's going to lead to madness or frustration.
3: Thanks,
2: teacher. Does it go to
3: Yes, teacher. Adrian uh, has a question. So this teaches that we should focus on the practice, not the act.
1: We need to focus on our actions and, and our practice as well. But the Buddha is talking about in terms of the deep, deep level of detail. So let's come up with another example. Let's just say I stole some bubble gum when I was eight years old from the Seven Eleven, And I'm worried and I'm and I'm obsessing about what that's going to lead to, that I stole this bubble gum from Seven Eleven, And now I'm 47 years old and I'm worried about whether that's going to come back to me or not and exactly how it's going to come back to me. Well, the fact is that there are results that we're going to experience from that. But if we try to figure out the exact, exact, exact results, that's where the madness and frustration comes in and it can make the mind almost obsessive. So we should understand things like, yes, stealing is unwholesome and there's going to be results because of that. And if I did that when I was eight years old, there's going to be results. And if I didn't experience those as part of earlier in my life, then I'm going to experience them either in this life, the next life, or some future life. And I can tell you when I was eight years old, I was stealing bubble gum from 7-Eleven. And I can tell you that I did experience the results of stealing that bubble gum. And I did that at different times when i was a young child and i've already experienced those results i've extinguished that unwholesome karma but if my mind at this point in life was obsessing over that and trying to figure out exactly what i'm going to experience now then that's going to just lead to madness and frustration so we need to understand kind of a general understanding of this natural law of gamma but the buddha is suggesting that we don't try to take it to such a level of detail and preciseness that it's going to obsess the mind and cause madness and frustration
2: Well, seems that there's no more question to
1: okay so we'll go to the next chapter which is chapter six
2: ten courses of unwholesome kama, impurity by body conda is threefold impurity by speech is fourfold Impurity by mind is threefold. And how conduct is impurity by mind threefold. One. Here someone destroys life. He is murderous. Bloody handed. Given to blows and violence. Merciless to living beings. Two. He takes what is not given. He steals the wealth and property property of others in the village or forest. Three engages in sexual misconduct he has sexual relationship relations with women who are protected by their mother father mother and father brother sister or relatives who are protected by their teachings uh, who have a husband whose violation entails a penalty or even with one already engaged it is in this way that impurity by body is threefold. And how conda is impurity by speech fourfold. One, here someone speaks falsehood if he is summoned to a council, to an assembly, to his relative's presence, to his club, or to the court, and questions, questioned as a witness thus. So, good man, tell what you know. Then, not knowing, he says, I know. Or knowing, he says, I do not know. Not seeing, he says, I see. Or seeing, he says, I do not see. Thus, he only speaks falsehood for his own benefit or for, the, for another's benefit or for some insignificant worldly benefit. Two, he speaks argumentatively. Having heard something here, he repeats it elsewhere in order to divide those people from these. Or having heard something elsewhere, he repeats it to these people in order to divide them from those. Thus, he is one who divides those who are united, a creator of divisions, one who enjoys separation, rejoices in separation, finds pleasure in separation, a speaker of words that create separation. Three, he speaks harshly. He speaks such words as as are rough, hard, hurtful to others, offensive to others, bordering on anger, unconducive to concentration. Four, he indulges in idle chatter. He speaks at an improper time speaks falsely, speaks what is unbeneficial, speaks opposite to the teachings and the discipline. At an improper time, it speaks such words as are unwise, unreasonable, rambling, and unbeneficial. It is in this way that impurity by speech is fourfold. And how conda is impurity by mind threefold. One here someone is full of longing craving he longs craves for the wealth and property of others thus oh may what belongs to another be mine two he has a mind of ill will and intentions intentions of hate thus may these beings be slain slaughtered cut off destroyed or obliterated three it holds wrong view, ignorance, a knowing of true reality, and has incorrect perspective. Thus, there is nothing given, nothing sacrificed, nothing offered. There is no fruit or result of wholesome and unwholesome actions. There is no this world, no other world. There is no mother, no father. There are no beings spontaneously reborn, there are, in the world, no ascetics or brahmins of right conduct and right practice who, having realized this world and the other world for themselves by direct knowledge experience, make them known to others. It is in this way that impurity by mind is threefold. These conduct are the ten courses of unwholesome karma. It is because these people engage In these 10 courses of unwholesome kama, that hell, the animal realm, the realm of afflicted spirits, and other bad destinations are seen.
1: All right. Thank you, Basim. So here the Buddha is giving us guidance on 10 courses of unwholesome kama, breaking that into body, speech, and mind to help you be able to see it more clearly, because when we cause harm through our bodily actions, it's going to produce unwholesome kama. Or when we produce harm through our speech, it's going to produce unwholesome gamma. Or when we produce harm through the mind or our intentions, it's going to produce unwholesome gamma. So this is essentially right action, right speech, and right intention of what he's talking about here. This first part of impurity by body is threefold. This is directly from the five precepts. This is the first, second, and third precept and he gives more details in the precepts about describing what these are. And it's also directly from the Eightfold Path because the Eightfold Path is that central teaching that everything plugs into. So in the Eightfold Path, he talks about right action and not causing harm through bodily actions, and he gives these three things, and then the five precepts further explain it and plug into the Eightfold Path. And here, he's once again pointing to those same things in terms of killing, stealing, and sexual misconduct, but he gives more details in the Eightfold Path and the Five Precepts around these things. So here, he's giving some details, but in the others, he also gives some details that is important to explore. Then in terms of speech, this is also from the Eightfold Path, because in the Eightfold Path, he talks about right speech, and he gives some guidance there about what right speech is but then he also talks in other parts of his teachings about things like the five factors of well-spoken speech. And in the five factors of well-spoken speech, he explains certain aspects of our speech to be able to purify our speech. But here he talks about falsehoods, he talks about speaking argumentatively, he talks about speaking harshly and having idle chatter. These are all things that are part of the Eightfold Path and then he even starts talking a little bit here about things that you see as part of the five factors of well-spoken speech. So here, this is kind of like one level of detail. This isn't all of right speech, but this is one level of detail that needs to be cleaned up and purified in order to move you closer and closer to the ideal, which would be practicing the five factors of well-spoken speech. And then the impurity by mind, here he's talking again about craving, anger, and ignorance. Those same things that he was talking about in a previous chapter. This first one here, when he talks about full of longing, this is craving. And then when he talks about ill will, this is anger, hatred, ill will. And then when he talks about wrong view, this is ignorance or the unknowing of true reality. And that if someone doesn't understand these three poisons, or these three unwholesome roots, or these three fires, then they're going to be producing all kinds of unwholesome decisions in the mind that is going to then produce speech and bodily actions that is going to be harmful. And he explains how this is then going to produce rebirth into the lower realms of hell, animal realm, and afflicted spirits. So again, he's not guilting you, shaming you, or fearing you. He's just explaining, hey, you should clean up your conduct here by body, speech, and mind so that you don't see these lower destinations and that you can purify the mind and get to this enlightened mental state. Questions on this chapter?
2: No this is the
1: All right. This next chapter seven is essentially exactly the same thing as the previous chapter, but it's he's just casting it in terms of wholesome gamma. So rather than read this through, just to kind of provide us time to talk about some of the other chapters, I would just like to show you here that this is exactly the opposite of what we just studied, that here he's talking about purity of body, speech, and mind, and he talks about abstaining and abandoning this destruction of life, abandoning taking what is not given, abandoning sexual misconduct, and then also abandoning false speech, abandoning argumentative speech. Abandoning harsh speech, abandoning idle chatter. So that's purifying our conduct through body and speech. And then someone without craving. Somebody who's without ill will or practicing goodwill or loving kindness. Someone who's free from hatred. Who's interested in living peacefully. Free from hostility, harm, and anxiety. Someone who has right view or wisdom and looks at things... With the perspective of the wisdom of these teachings the buddha is saying okay this is someone who's purifying their mind and all of this he's saying leads to wholesome gamma and if there's rebirth there's rebirth in the heavenly realm as well as in the human realm these are the good destinations that are seen by practicing this conduct that he's describing here to produce wholesome gamma But the ideal would be, of course, to attain enlightenment so there isn't rebirth at all in the heavenly realm or the human realm in a future birth, that there is no future birth in the cycle of rebirth. So in order to do that, you would need to purify your bodily, your speech, and your mental conduct in line with this and all the other teachings that the Buddha shares. So what questions do you guys have on this chapter?
3: Let's go to Randa. Yes, sir. Um, From Facebook, Adrian would like to know, is this moral
1: discipline? I'm sorry, can you say again?
3: Is this moral discipline, sir?
1: There's, in the Eightfold Path, it's separated in three sections, wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline. So here, what the Buddha is talking about with body and speech, this is the moral conduct. This is part of that moral conduct that kind of further explains the Eightfold Path, because the Eightfold Path has a certain level of detail. And then as you start pulling back the covers more on the Buddhist teachings, you start seeing more and more detail about things like moral conduct. And then the aspect here of purity of mind, this is part of right intention. When you look at right intention of the Buddhist Eightfold Path, he talks about the intention of renunciation He talks about the intention of non-ill will, and he talks about the intention of harmlessness. And then there's also right view that is part of that wisdom of the Eightfold Path. So here, this part of purity by mind is threefold. That's right view and right intention. Then this purity of speech is right speech, which is part of the moral conduct and then this purity of body is right action, which is also part of moral conduct. You might be thinking of mental discipline, which is right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration.
3: Thank you, sir.
1: You're welcome.
2: Well, so do you consider abandoning unwholesome karma is enough uh, for to go towards enlightenment or one should apply wholesome karma.
1: should create wholesome kama? You have to create wholesome kama in order to get to enlightenment. Because in order to get to enlightenment, you have to extinguish all your unwholesome kama. So all the unwholesome kama that we've created, we have to extinguish that through only producing wholesome kama. And one of the things that the Buddha did when a student would first start with him, is he would always focus them on the moral conduct first. So he would focus them on right speech, right action, and right livelihood, which includes the five precepts. That's where he would really start off, of course, understanding right view, of course, but he would encourage his students to purify their moral conduct. Because as long as you're trying to train the mind and awaken the mind, if you're out there producing wrong speech wrong action and wrong livelihood it's going to be really hard for you to purify the mind and get to this peaceful mind if you're out there causing all this harm through your moral conduct so he would start people understanding the moral conduct that's found in right speech right action and right livelihood further explained in the five precepts and then even further explained here in this teaching as well so if you're just starting out it would be wise to understand the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, and then focus on purifying your moral conduct of right speech, right action, and right livelihood. That's where he would always start people out with. And that's going to help you produce wholesome gamma by eliminating all your unwholesome decisions around things like right speech, right action, and right livelihood.
2: Thanks, teacher. No more questions.
1: All right, so let's get to chapter seven. Actually, chapter eight.
2: New and old karma. Monks, I will teach you new and old karma, the elimination of unwholesome karma and the way leading to the elimination of unwholesome karma. Listen to that and attend closely, I will speak. And what monks is old karma? The eye is old karma, to be seen and generated and created by volition, choices, decisions, as something to be filled. The ear is old, comma, to be seen and generated and created by volition, as something to be filled. The nose is old, comma, the tongue is old, comma, the body is old, comma, the mind is old, comma, to be seen and generated and created by volition, as something to be filled. This is, co- this is called old, comma. and what monks is new, comma? Whatever action one does, now by body, speech or mind, this is called new karma. And what monks is the elimination of unwholesome karma. When one reaches liberation through the elimination of unwholesome bodily action, verbal action, and mental action, this is called the elimination of unwholesome karma. And what monks is the way leading to the elimination of unwholesome karma? It is this noble eightfold path, that is right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. Thus, monks, I have taught old karma. I have taught new karma. I have taught the elimination of unwholesome karma. I have taught the way leading to the elimination of unwholesome karma. Whatever should be done, monks, by a compassionate teacher out of compassion for his disciples aspiring for their welfare that i have done for you these are the feet of trees monks these are empty huts meditate monks do not be complacent lest you regret it later this is my instruction to you
1: all right thank you Bossom. so here so far we've been studying wholesome karma and unwholesome kama. Wholesome kama is created by generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. And the Buddha gave some details in the previous chapter about bodily, speech, and mental actions that produce wholesome kama. And then unwholesome kama is generated by craving, anger, and ignorance. And he talked about how the bodily actions, verbal actions, and mental actions are impure based on those 10 courses of unwholesome karma, So we have this wholesome karma that is generated by making wholesome decisions, and we have this unwholesome karma which is generated by making unwholesome decisions. But now we're gonna add this new and old karma. What old karma is that the Buddha is explaining here is decisions that we've made in the past, in past lives, as well as in the past prior to Today. That's all called old gamma. Any decisions made in the past is old gamma. It can be old wholesome gamma and it can be old unwholesome gamma. Okay? And there's been a certain amount of unwholesome gamma that we've made in terms of our old decisions from the past. And there's been a certain amount of old wholesome kama that we've made in the past. The whole reason why we're in the human realm is because we made some wise decisions in order to get us to the point where we could actually get this human birth. So there's old wholesome kama and there's old unwholesome kama. But then there's also what's called new kama. New kama is based on decisions that you're making right now, at this present moment, by body, speech, and mind. And what you would like to do is you would like to have all your new gamma be wholesome. Because as you're making new decisions right now, if you make those new decisions through the Eightfold Path, then it's going to lead to new wholesome gamma. But inadvertently and with certainty, you're going to not be able to click your fingers and make all new decisions that are wholesome gamma. You can't do that because you don't yet have the full wisdom of the Eightfold Path and of all the other teachings of the Buddha. So even now that you're on this path and you're consciously learning to make decisions through generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom, you're not going to be able to just snap your fingers and automatically do that just because you've heard that that's what you need to do. So what you're doing is you're reducing more and more of your unwholesome decisions by increasing more and more of your wholesome decisions and you're looking to make more and more new gamma right now in the present moment that is of a wholesome nature but this all happens gradually so you gradually build up your practice where you're practicing more decisions through generosity loving kindness and wisdom and one of the key components to that is gaining the wisdom well, what is it that is going to lead to wholesome results? What is the wisdom of the Buddha? So the more that you gain that wisdom, now you can make wiser and wiser decisions that are new, wholesome decisions. And as you do this, choosing to meditate, choosing to practice the Eightfold Path, choosing to learn and practice all these teachings of the Buddha, you'll start seeing more and more of the condition of your mind is gradually improving, and your life is improving too with your relationships around you. Both personal and professional relationships start to blossom. Where in the past, maybe when somebody would say something negative to you, you would argue and you would be hostile and you would be aggressive, and that's what you did in the past. But you know that leads to unwholesome results based on the Buddhist teachings. So now maybe you start eliminating certain aspects of the mind where you're no longer arguing with people. Where when somebody says something argumentative and hostile, you just move on. You maybe leave from them or you change the subject or you just choose to no longer argue because you know that leads to unwholesome results. And then over time, your mind is producing more and more wholesome decisions. So what you would like to do is have All your new kama, everything that you're deciding to do now going forward to be wholesome. But of course, that's going to be a gradual transition as you build up your wisdom and understand how to do that more and more. And that's what's going to eliminate this unwholesome kama. It's the Eightfold Path of learning and practicing that that'll help you to now make more and more wholesome decisions. What questions do you have about this chapter? No
2: question,
1: all right. So we'll go to chapter nine, I think it is.
2: This body is old comma. Monks, this body is not yours, nor does it belong to others. It is old comma, to be seen as generated and created by volition, choices, decisions, as something to be felt. Therein monks, the instructed noble disciple attends carefully and closely to dependent origination itself. Thus, when this exists, that comes to be. With the arising of this, that arises. When this does not exist, that does not come to be. With the elimination of this, that is eliminated. That is, with ignorance as condition, volitional formations come to be. With volitional formations as conditions, consciousness, With consciousness as conditions, name and form. With name and form as condition, the six sense spaces. With the six sense spaces as condition, contact. With contact as condition, feelings. With feelings as condition, craving. With craving as condition, clinging. With clinging as condition, existence. With existence as condition, birth. With birth as condition, aging and death, sorrow, grief pain, displeasure, and despair come to be. Such is the origin of this whole mass of discontentedness. But, with the remainderless fading away, and elimination of ignorance, and knowing of true reality, comes elimination of volitional formations, choices, decisions. With the elimination of volitional formations, elimination of consciousness. With the elimination of birth, aging, and death, Sorrow, grief, pain, displeasure, and despair is eliminated. Such is the elimination of the whole mass of discontentedness.
1: All right. Thank you, Basam. So here the Buddha is giving an example of old gama. When our parents had intercourse and there was an egg and there was a sperm that came together, then the third thing was the consciousness that came together into creating this life in the womb of our mother? Well, at that point, the consciousness hasn't made any new decisions in this life yet. So the body that we experience, that we acquire at birth is old gama. It's based on our decisions in our previous life. So that's why if we are born with any birth defects, it's based on our previous life. So this body that we have at the time of birth is old gama. But then once we're born, we come into the world and then we start making decisions about our food intake, about our water intake, about our exercise and things like this. And then the body is a representation of choices that we've made in our mind. If we have a bit of extra weight, that's because of our aging, because of our food choices, because of our activity choices. This is where the mind is the boss and the body is the employee. The body is just following whatever the boss is making decisions about. So once we come into the womb, though, that's where we experience our old gamma. We fully experienced our old gamma in terms of the physical body. And now as we make decisions going forward, we're making all new gamma for this life. But we're making the those decisions based on craving, anger, and ignorance that's in the mind. And if we have generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom in the mind, that's where we can improve our life and make wiser and wiser decisions. The Buddha inserts this dependent origination in here because he's talking about birth. And when he's talking about birth, he's talking about how birth comes to be. We studied this in volume five in our previous book prior to this, where we talked in detail about each step of dependent origination. Because if there's this ignorance or unknowing of true reality, then it's going to lead to decisions or volitional formations that then affect the consciousness, that then affect this name and form, the sense bases, the contact, the feelings right on down the line to the point where there is birth, aging, and death, this discontentedness that comes into the mind. And the way that you unravel all of this is that you gain wisdom transform that ignorance into wisdom. And now with your wiser decisions, it leads to improved results in the condition of your mind and the condition of your life. And you can get to the point where you eliminate all discontentedness 100%. And then the mind is enlightened, no longer experiencing birth. So therefore, you're not going to experience this aging or death or any discontentedness any longer. From the point in time where you attain enlightenment forward, you will never experience any discontentedness ever again. Questions on this chapter?
2: Yes, teacher. We have a question on YouTube from Future One. Is it possible to be reborn in another adult body instead of a new reborn, as if the adult is resuscitated, being brought back from dying or death?
1: So rebirth is when this physical body Dies and the mind separates from this physical body, right? And now, when there's craving in the mind of that being that's died, there's going to be rebirth. But that rebirth is going to occur with a completely new mind and a completely new body. The only thing that's moving from one existence to the next is craving and residual memories. It's a completely new being. So, if I was Susie before this and now I'm David. Susie had her own body, her own mind. David has a body and a mind, two completely separate beings, but the craving and residual memories from Susie comes into David's mind. And now David's going to operate and make new decisions based on what David's mind is doing. So when we're reborn, we're reborn as a completely new being from birth forward. There's not going to be a situation where you're reborn as an adult. You, you're going to need to start off from infancy, from in the womb.
3: Let's go to Yes, sir. Um, Amina asks, the example of the garden hose is very helpful to understand the relationship between wholesome and unwholesome, comma. So when the mind begins to experience a bit more ease, that is due to the clear water clearing out the dirty water, and the opposite is also true?
1: Exactly. Exactly. I Amina, mean, you've got that 100% right that the more pure water you put through this garden hose, the more at ease you're going to be. You know, if you've ever had a garden hose with a lot of mud or dirt in there, you know, it's hard to bend, it's hard to shape, it's all tangled up. But when you get this pure water going through the garden hose, now you're at ease because the garden hose is more pliable. It's more flexible. You can now water your plants. You can wash your car. You can do other things with this water where nobody's interested in this dirty water coming out. If we spit out all this dirty water into the world, then that's what's going to be thrown back at us. But if we put this pure water out into the world, now it creates this better life, right? We can water our plants. We can wash our car. We can do other things with it. So. That's what you're working to do is put this pure water in there through practicing the Eightfold Path. And this is what the Buddha talks about, entering the stream, being a stream enter. Now you've entered the stream. When you've put together the Eightfold Path really, really well, you start experiencing those jhanas and then you eliminate those first three fetters. Now you've entered the stream the mind still has pollution at that point in that first stage of enlightenment so there's still dirt in the hose but you've at least entered the stream and you're flushing it out really good because you're now practicing the eightfold path really really well by the time you get to the first stage of enlightenment other questions on this chapter
2: well no okay,
1: sure. okay so i think this is the last chapter for today number 10 the most
2: reprehensible reprehensible for the performance of unwholesome actions. Then the Nigantha Diga Tapasa asked the perfectly enlightened one, and you, friend Butama, how many kinds of rod do you describe for the performance of unwholesome action, for the carrying out of unwholesome action? Tapasa, Tapasi, the Tathagata is not accustomed to use the description rod, rod. The Tathagata is accustomed to use the description action, action. But, friend Gautama, how many kinds of action do you describe for the performance of unwholesome action, for the carrying out of unwholesome action? The passage I, de- I describe three kinds of action for the performance of unwholesome action for the carrying out of unwholesome action, that is, bodily action, verbal action, and mental action. How then, friend Gautama, is bodily action one, verbal action another, and mental action still another? Body action is one, tapasi, verbal action is another, and mental action is still another. Of these three kinds of action, friend Gautama, thus analyzed and distinguished, which kind of action do you describe as the most reprehensible for the performance of unwholesome action for the carrying out of unwholesome action body action or verbal action or mental action of these three kinds of action tapasi thus analyzed and distinguished i describe mental action as the most reprehensible for the performance of unwholesome action For the carrying out of unwholesome action and not so much bodily action and verbal action. Do you say mental action, friend Gutama? I say mental action, tapasi. Do you say mental action, friend Gutama? I say mental action, tapasi. Do you say mental action, friend Gutama? I say mental action, tapasi. Thus, the Nigantha Diga tapasi made the perfectly enlightened one maintain his statement up to the third time, after which he rose from his seat and went to the Nigantha Nataputa. Thereafter, the householder, Yupali, came to the perfectly enlightened one to ask about the conversation the perfectly enlightened one had with Nigantha Tapasi. And discussed that the bodily action is the most reprehensible for the performance of unwholesome act, for the carrying out of unwholesome an action, and not so much the verbal action and the mental action. The perfectly enlightened one, however, maintained his doctrine and spoke further. What do you think, householder? Is this town of Nalanda successful and prosperous? Is it populous and crowded with people? Yes, venerable sayer, it is. What do you think, householder? Suppose a man came here brandishing a sword and spoke thus, in one moment, in one instant, I will make all the living beings in the town of Nalanda into one mass of flesh, into one heap of flesh. What do you think, householder? Would that man be able to do that? Venerable Sayer, 10, 20, 30, 40, or even 50 men would not be able to make all the living beings in the stone of Nalanda into one mass of flesh, into one heap of flesh in one moment or instant. So what does a single trivial man count for? What do you think, Householder? Suppose some ascetic or brahmin came here possessed of supernormal power and attained to mastery of mind and he spoke thus I will reduce this town of Nalanda to ashes with one mental act of hate what do you think householder would such an ascetic or brahman be able to do that vulnerable seer such an ascetic or brahman possessed of supernormal power and attain to mastery of mind would be able to reduce 10, 20, 30, 40, or even 50 nalandas to ashes with one mental act of hate. So, what does a single trivial nalanda count for? Householder, householder, pay attention how you reply. What you said afterwards does not agree with what you said before, nor does what you said before agree with what you said afterwards.
1: All right. Thank you, Bassem. So let me explain what's happening here and what's going on. So as we've discussed before, during the lifetime of the Buddha, there was the Buddha and his community of students that were learning with him to progress to enlightenment. But there were also other teachers who were teaching, and they were claiming that it was their teachings that lead to enlightenment. And there were various students that were collected around all these different teachers. And there were occasions where people of those other teachers would come and learn with the Buddha, or they would come ask the Buddha questions. And more and more, people started understanding his deep wisdom. So here, there's this person that isn't a student of the Buddha that comes to the Buddha and asks the Buddha, you know, what type of actions do you say that there are? And the Buddha says that there's these three types of actions. There's bodily, verbal, and mental actions. And then he asks, you know, out of all of these three, which one is the worst type of action that could do the most harm, essentially? And the Buddha says mental action is the one that is the worst harm, that could cause the worst harm. And this person makes the Buddha confirm that on three separate times to ensure that he is in fact saying that, yes, it's mental action that is going to cause the most harm. And then after that conversation, that person gets up and leaves. Then a student of the Buddha's who is a householder comes to the Buddha and having overheard this conversation says, you know, it's bodily action that causes the most harm. It's not mental action, perfectly enlightened one. It's it's bodily action. So here's like the student trying to teach the Buddha that no, you're wrong, essentially. It's bodily action because he just heard the Buddha confirm that mental action is going to cause the most harm. So then rather than the Buddha just stating back to him, he starts asking questions. This is one of the ways that you help somebody awaken their mind is you ask them questions so that they can see the wisdom for themselves, not just giving them information, but guiding them to the answer. So here the Buddha asked him some very precise questions in order to bring him to the point where this student can be guided to the answer. And the Buddha asked him, you know, this town that we're in, is it populous? Is it crowded with lots of people? The student says, yeah, there's lots of people that live here. And he says, okay, if somebody comes with a weapon, can they with that one weapon, that one sword, can they kill everybody in this town with just one action? And this person, his student says, you know, if there was 10, 20, 30, 40, even 50 men, they wouldn't be able to kill everybody all at one time in one instant. And the Buddha says, okay, well, what do you think? If somebody came here with super normal power and they did one act of mental hate, would they be able to destroy the town with that one act of mental hate? And Then the student says, yes, they could. And not only could they destroy one town, but they could destroy 10, 20, 30, 40, even 50 towns with just one act of hate. And then the Buddha says, okay, what you just said doesn't match to what you said earlier. What you said earlier is that bodily action is worse. But now through your own reflection and looking at this, now you're admitting that mental action is worse than bodily action and the reason why is because if somebody came with a mental action of hate and they did something hateful in a particular town to that one person now that one person spreads the hate because now that they've had this hateful situation it spreads to more and more and more and more and more people and then eventually the whole town becomes hateful and there's this ill will and there's this anger in the town because of this one person performing one mental act of hate. So that's why the Buddha is explaining that mental action is actually the worst or most reprehensible act above and beyond bodily action and verbal action. Of course, bodily action and verbal action are harmful and they are going to create harm in the world, but it's our mental action that produces. The most harm because it influences other people and it spreads to other people. But also, our bodily actions and our verbal actions come from the mind. So if the mind is impure, then it's going to produce unskillful bodily actions and verbal actions. And conversely, if our mind is purified, then it's going to produce purified bodily actions and verbal actions. So everything that the Buddhist teachings is coming back to purifying the mind because that is what is essentially the boss. The mind is the boss and the body's the employee. So the speech is going to follow whatever the boss is doing, whatever the mind has in it. The speech is going to be a reflection of that. And likewise, the body is going to be a reflection of what's in the mind. So this whole path to enlightenment is about purifying the mind and ensuring that we have wholesome intentions and that our mental actions are purified so that then we have purified speech and purified bodily actions as well. So he's highlighting here the importance of wholesome mental action and purifying the mind. Questions on this chapter?
2: No question,
1: it's time All right. Well, I'll just thank all of you guys for joining today's class, whether you're attending live in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, whether you're listening to this on the replay on any of those places or our podcast. Thank you for your dedication and your commitment to learning and practicing the teachings of the Buddha. In our next class, next Saturday, we're going to be in the same volume six, which is the natural law of gamma. And we're going to be studying chapters 11 through chapters 20. So if you're joining us for the first time, you can download this book from buddha.dailywisdom.com, and then you can read chapters 11 through 20 and ensure that you can come to class and discuss them and ask any questions. Because you'll have the words of the Buddha, you have the reference to be able to go back and look at the original source, but then you also have the explanations that I've provided to help you understand more of what the Buddha is sharing. In these classes, I don't have the ability to go to the level of detail that I go to in the book. So if you read the book, you'll get much more detail and then you can come to class and ask any clarifying questions that you may have on chapters 11 through chapters 20 in next Saturday's class. Tomorrow in the group learning program, which is Sunday, there we're going to be studying chapter 18, which is titled. God's creative action, you have free will, so we're going to be studying that as part of our path to enlightenment to help you understand this being of God. Whether you would like to have a relationship with God, you're going to need to have certain understanding and clarity of what this being of God is so that you can get to liberation without any fear of God, and other aspects of your practice might need to improve if you're going to choose to have a relationship with God. But if you're not interested in having a relationship with God, there are certain things you need to consider there as well in order to get to liberation. Because if you had hate or anger towards God, you're not going to be able to get to enlightenment because there's still anger and hate in the mind. So you need to work this out that you understand this topic of God of how to either have a relationship or not have a relationship with God so that you can actually get to liberation and to enlightenment. So we're going to be discussing that tomorrow in our group learning program. And then on Wednesday, we're going to be doing loving kindness meditation as part of our meditation that we do on Wednesdays together. So I'll see you either next Saturday in this class or perhaps Sunday and Wednesday in our group learning program. I'll see you in a future class. Have a very lovely rest of your day. Sawadee
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast.